Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Twelve o'clock on a Friday means we get to have a visit from the film guys. It's our pleasure to welcome J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist to all the stars. J. Todd, welcome. Hello. And George Williman, archivist to the Library of Congress, among other things. And the stars, too. Hello. <laughs> Librarian to the stars. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. On our segment, Filmically Perfect, we're adding a little, uh, a little dimension, a little aspect today, and that is the notion of guilty pleasures, films that perhaps fall just a little short of the ultimate fer- perfectly well-rounded package but still hold a lot of um... a lot of guilt in these movies man. <laughs> why is that <laughs> well George is going to talk about a, an incredibly obscure film that very few people know about and it's it's very textured and it has just a wonderful tone to it and it was an independent movie um, and uh, uh, only if if there's so few people that know about this movie, but George is going to tell you all about it and give you an education on this movie. What is that movie, George? Well, there's a little film made in 1946 uh, called Strangler of the Swamp. Guilty. <laughs> it's got a and, great cover art. Ooh, and it's and, a and I guess, on there. I'm guessing the, the guilty part of it is mainly the title because it is a really good little film. And uh, the story behind it, I guess, it, it's really interesting in that the company that made it was called PRC, and they came out of, I guess, what was a perceived need to make really low-budget films for smaller theaters, mostly in, in the Midwest. A perceived need. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I think there's so, a niche for low quality so here. When, when PRC got started, the story goes that they would have a big meeting at the beginning of their shooting season. And they would, all the directors and producers would get together, come up with like 20 titles for movies hand them out to the different units and say, okay, take this title and make a movie from it. And they all had Strangler in them. (laughs) (laughs) Strangler somewhere in the title. (laughs) Only kidding, folks, only kidding. Mostly what they would grind out, they would grind out lots of little westerns. Um, Bob Steele did a lot of westerns for them. The sheriff Uh, strangles the town. (laughs) And uh, they they also attracted a lot of uh, unusual talent to the studio. Um, I like to say it's a studio where people on the way up were meeting the people on the way down. Oh. Um, and in this case, the director of Strangler's Swamp, Frank Visbar, was an expatriate from Germany, uh, very much like Fritz Lang or, or any of the other guys, who, for whatever reason, ended up at the low end of Hollywood rather than the high end of Hollywood. So he had made a film while he was in Germany called Farman Maria, which is an extremely dark little, typically Germanic, uh, expressionistic, impressionistic horror film that basically he took the basis of and remade it as Strangler of the Swamp. In (laughs) In English. Yes. (laughs) How did you come by this movie? How in the world did you discover this? Um, There's a really great book by um, a really wonderful author, William K. Everson, called, uh, I think it's called Classics of the Horror Film, and he devotes an entire chapter in that book to this movie. Um, So even as a kid when I read that, I was really fascinated. But this film, you know, was under everybody's radar. It had totally vanished. Um, it, it finally came to light in, I think, in the late 70s. Sony released it on VHS, and where they found it, I have no idea. Um, and then Image released it on DVD in 1999, and that's how it finally became available to the public. A whole chapter devoted to this. Uh, right. It could be said that he thought it was filmically yeah, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> because... It, 
as a PRC production, it's unusual because it has very high production value for that, and it's extremely atmospheric, and it's how to do German expressionism on a budget of about $25. <laughs> Wow. Uh, and uh, and it is quite a dark little story for the time. Uh, the biggest change is in the ending where rather than the extremely dark Germanic ending of Farman Maria, they have a more Hollywood ending to the film. Says so here he was hanged for a crime he didn't commit, <laughs> and now he's the strangler of the swamp. Now, they have a really great actor to play the strangler is Charles Middleton, who is probably best known to most people as Ming the Merciless in the uh, Flash Gordon serials. But he has one of the greatest voices for movies. He has a very <laughs> sonorous, dark voice. And, and he plays the Strangler. Um, now, the, the strange thing about the Strangler is he looks kind of like a malevolent Mr. Rogers because he has, you know, a cardigan sweater on. So they're way ahead of their time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they very deliberately <laughs> photograph him in a very foggy manner so that you never see clearly what oh, he yeah, looks that's, like. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's easy to dress the background if you're on cheap budgets, man. Smoke, fog, it works beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably used all the fog juice in Hollywood uh, that week to make this movie. <laughs> so you enjoy this movie. You like watching this movie. Um, it is a so good movie, folks. It's very good. interesting. It's very interesting. But what is it that, that, that it just lacks? It just falls short of the finish line on actually achieving filmically I, perfect I, status. Well, because it was PRC, I'm sure that Visbar didn't have the stable of actors that he really could have used to really put the punch in this story. So, um, like, the, the main actress, Rosemary LaPlanche, who whose main claim to fame was she was Miss California two years in a row and she was Miss America. Say. Is, she's a little on the flat side in her acting. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, um, she, she's okay. I mean, she, she, she does the role and she doesn't fall on her face or anything like that, but she just doesn't maybe have the delivery that could have really used. Um, now, I think Charles Middleton, of course, is wonderful. Now, one of the most interesting actors in this is the actor who plays the young male lead, of the, or they refer to as the would-be hero. He's not. I mean, he kind of he does fall in his face. But it's a young actor named Blake Edwards. Oh. Whom later became... Mr. Uh, Pink Panther. And Mr. Julie Andrews. Yeah. And, uh, and directed you know, SOB and all the Pink Panther films and, um, and Victor wow, Victoria. Wow, how very interesting. And and so what's the, f- the year on this film again? 1946. Wow. It's right after the war. Right after probably, the war. They probably made it during when the war was going on because everything is very stark and the mm-hmm. resources are very stark. Yeah. So the notion of, uh, of almost filmically perfect but still quite enjoyable one keeps you right. coming back. Have you seen this multiple times? I have. In fact, yeah. I just watched it this week to refresh my memory, and it's only about an hour, so I mean, you can watch it during your lunch break, you know. <laughs> and, but it, it, it runs so, it goes so quickly, and, and actually, Visbar was a really good storyteller, so he does keep your interest in it. And one, one side note about him, he was a pioneer of the television anthology series. He created a series in the early 50s called Fireside Theater that was very popular and directed most of those. They're a little half-hour thing, so he's... Very instrumental in the beginning of, of television drama. We dare all you listeners to run out to every video store and ask for <laughs> the this. The Strangler of yes, the Swamp. Yes, ask for The Strangler in the Swamp and then throw a fit if you can't get it. Yeah, know? if you can find it. It is it is still available on the internet mainly. Um, I just looked at Amazon today. They have they have three copies of it available. Um, you can probably get it through half.com. It's, it's a great little movie. It's it definitely it looks great on your shelf because it does have the most lurid cover I've ever it is seen. Cool. <laughs> it's it good is. looking it cover, just man. It looks like all those paperback, all that pulp, yeah, uh, the pulpy. horror fiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And all over, it's it's just a, it's just a great little 
great fun cheap little movie yeah that should be and we're warning you it's in black and white (laughs) oh yeah you have to wear your rose-colored glasses (laughs) so if you're anti-black and white then you know watch out because this is black and white movie or you can wait for the colorized version yes yes yeah right that's never coming aren't they done with that by the way they're pretty much done with that little they've actually well the thing that's interesting about that is that there there is a big uh, uh group that is still working in in colorization but they're finding a better use for it in in taking films color films in which the color has either been lost or faded and using colorization to restore that color Uh, a good example of that is a couple years ago they released uh, the phantom of the opera with um, lon chaney and there is a segment in there that was shot in color and they actually have most of it the couple of the shots at the beginning and end of that sequence were lost so they went in and took the best black and white elements and colorized them to match the actual color footage it looks great well, this is probably obscure enough that we will have to just provide our own color images in our imagination as we watch The Strangler of the Swamp. It's the guilty pleasure on Filmically Perfect here on 91.3 WYSO. George Willeman, your selection for Thank today. Indeed. And there's a, hey, th- this one has a, uh, this one has an intro. We're going to hear about J. Todd's guilty pleasure. Stay right where you are. Can't help it, J. Todd's selection on Comic Book Perfect today for Guilty Pleasures. Oh, baby, what a movie. Tell us a little about this movie. This movie was made in 1956, and if if most of you recall, this is when Elvis hit the big time stratospherically. And, but, why Elvis was doing this, there was a whole passel of great musicians out there pounding out rock and roll all over the country, and everybody wanted them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you, when you watch this movie, you're going to be astounded at the talent that is flying through this picture. Uh, you've got Fats Domino, you have the Platters, you have Little Richard in his absolute prime of his life. And not, before he was doing he was... insurance commercials, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah, and and they got Eddie Cochran in there, and uh, who else do we have in that? This is one of George's favorite movies uh, too. Uh, uh, Gene Vincent and the Blue Cat. Oh, doing their at magnificent uh, Bebopaluba and the know? Platters the and pla- Fats oh. Domino and, and Gene Vincent, all these people in this Edmund movie. Edmund O'Brien. Edmund the- O'Brien is the actor, and and Tommy Ewell, and the glorious, fantastic Jane Mansfield. <laughs> and she's not. And that is the girl that can't help it in this movie. <laughs> She is. Believe me, when you see her, you will understand why she can't help it in this movie. <laughs> you have a, uh, you showed me a picture of the cover of that, and man, she is dressed to the nines. There's Seven foot tall with a hat, like a, a hat that's bigger than, you know, a platter. And, and points longest and point spikes and everywhere. Well, and I think they kind of set, they set the tone for her right at the beginning when this song is playing that you hear in the background. Yeah. And she's walking down the sidewalk carrying these two bottles of milk. And they, yeah. Up, up near her. <laughs> and they start upper. Boiling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, the milkman's looking at her with these glasses on, and he turns and they break. Yeah. Because she's walking with these little teeny steps, you know, because her skirt's all cinched down so she can't walk. And, and uh, she can't sing in this movie, but her gangster boyfriend, Edmund O'Brien, 
thinks that she can sing and he wants her to become the next big singer. So he hires an agent to get her to sing and of course every song that she sings and she does like three notes, you know. So is that the premise how we managed to in the course of the plot line get all these amazing rock and roll performances? Yes. Right. They always they're always at a club for some reason. Hey, let's look this way. And then you know and, <laughs> and there's little Richard. Yeah, and, and the opening credits on this movie is absolutely stupendous because they started in black and white. Right, they started in black and white. And it's in it's in CinemaScope, da, 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 which was the scope widescreen version of the day, which is very wide, and it's done with lenses, so everything is sharp, sharp, sharp. Oh, how nice. And, and good prints of this and still exist. Technicolor? So oh, yeah, you can buy it, man. You can go down to the store and, and buy it now, I yeah. believe. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah, it, it actually, they've just released a, a set of uh, called the Jane Mansfield set, I believe, that has uh, Girl Can't Help It. It has and, two records. Uh, with, <laughs> Will success spoil Rock Hunter, and I believe there's another one on there. That's the only way you can get this movie right now is in a set. Wow! Yeah. So you got you got the uh, uh, Technicolor, which I just learned last time around on Wizard of Oz is the three negative set with wow. color that is this just is a three negative Technicolor. Stop. Wasn't it, um, it probably was actually shot in Eastman color, but then would have been um, processed, separated out into Technicolor. Yeah. It's beautiful. So it's beautiful. And obviously a soundtrack to die for. Oh, man. And, you know, you got Fast Domino, who's just looking absolutely like the Fast Domino we all know and love. He's got this big baby face, and he's smiling at the camera playing... um, uh, what's he, what is he playing there? What's his Blue song Monday. Playing? Blue Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what everybody thinks, but it's Blue Monday. Yeah. Now, here's one thing you want to remember about this movie is that there's a whole lot of rock and roll movies out there like Joe Gani, Johnny Go, and uh, but they're not, they weren't very good. Yeah. But this is this is if you want to see how rock and roll music was in 1956 without Elvis. Yeah. Then you will watch this movie because it personifies everything. There really wasn't a movie this good until Hard Day's Night came out. And it was in black and white, you know? Well, wow. Plus, Girl Can't Help was given the full glossy uh, treatment from, from the you know, Fox studio. So, it, and plus, yeah, they, got a, they got a really great director for it. Frank Tashlin, who directed it, started out as a cartoon director at Warner Brothers. Huh. So, it's, it's very heavily imbued with a lot of, of cartoon uh, comedy. I mean, this thing never takes itself seriously. Yeah. Never, never, never. And also... Th- all the rock and roll uh, stars of the day, the only way you're going to see them live and performing is on a kinescope. Yeah. And it's not real clear. Like, Eddie Cochran here is in film. Now, if you if you want to see Buddy Holly, or mostly, you know, Elvis is in movies, but he's usually in black and white. That's true. And right you'll see true. him in kinescope, which is not a real good way to see them with great sound and everything. So, almost beyond the fact that there's, you know, just the, the cool performance and a sort of bizarro set of the storyline... There's a real historical value to the fact that these performances are preserved, aren't they? Yeah, you can, you can really get a feel and a, a tone for that that period of music, which is very, very fun, and it's well presented. Reverberations through to this day. Now, we're, we're beginning to address some things that almost would suggest that it's filmically perfect. What's it about this film that keeps it just this side? Well, we George and I have many arguments over this, and, and after a couple hours, we just kind of give up arguing um, <laughs> because we just enjoy the movie. You know, yeah, we sure. really like it. But sure. you know, we're really rough on perfect films. We have standards and everything, and yeah. and once in a while they'll foul. But that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy a lot of other movies. Well, know? I think one of the, I've been thinking about this, and one of the things about this movie that may keep it from being perfect is that in some ways, although it has all these great rock and roll singers in it, it's almost an anti-rock and roll movie because in the end, it's like Edmund O'Brien who does this sort of pasteurized pop music, Ray Anthony kind of uh, yeah, that's the adult 
adult rock version thing, of yeah. rock and roll, rock around. And that's where yeah. Jane has, ah, she squeals so in there. That's the only, only thing she does. Musical yeah. yeah, and in a lot of movies in the 50s and 60s, you'll see that there's a lot of guys that are our age now who are trying to do hip rock and roll music for their uh, movies. And it, it always Bailey has miserable. horns, and it's really yeah. kind of sh- you know <laughs> schlappy and everything. It doesn't have the edge these boys have, and this the girl can't tell. Right. You know? very, very so it's a fun boy. movie, without yeah. question, yeah. And I've never seen it. I can't believe it as a, as a music person that I'm going to have to get know. out there and see it. Again, it's been very obscure. It's, it's very obscure. obscure. Uh, yeah. For many years, Fox wouldn't would not release it because they couldn't find the stereo soundtrack. At least oh. that's what they said. So I'm hoping that they have re- since they have now released it, they have found either found the stereo tracks or at least the stereo to the musical numbers. We're talking to J. Todd Anderson and George Williman, uh, the film guys on Filmically Perfect. And do you know happen to know how those performances went down? Surely they weren't live. Surely they recorded them in the studio. But the performances were unique to the movie, right? They didn't take their hit song and have them come in and lip sync. I'm, I'm betting they probably used the master tracks from the from their recording. Okay. They did have them lip sync, okay. but it's all done in the studio. Yeah. You know, another interesting thing about this movie is there's like there's four black performers in this movie. Wow. In 1956, there's Abby Lincoln. She's singing a, 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 an incredibly well-rounded spiritual song that's oh, really, really good. Nice. And then there's the Platters who's singing now. And then there's Fats Domino, and there's Little Richard. In 1956, how many movies had this many uh, black performers in it? And wow. these guys were all top-notch at the top of their game at that time. People Several truly know. historical aspects to this film, The Girl Can't Help It. Huh, well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to have to put a bid in for a reconsideration for Filmically Perfect on this one. Well, we'll have to send it to the board, you know. <laughs> We always tell people, write all this stuff down on a piece of paper, and uh, if we get around to looking at it, we'll consider it. <laughs> We're going to have an email address for these guys coming up, so uh, keep your ears tuned to 91.3 WYSO. Filmically perfect on a Friday afternoon. Uh, should we um, uh, give away a little something with a trivia question? Should we uh, ask something about we, that we've just spoken about and have somebody uh, see if they're should we ask past George? the pop quiz? Should we ask an old rock and roll trivia Not too question? hard now. Yeah. Uh, you could do something like, uh, you know. What okay, two of the performers in this movie, Gene Cochran, excuse me, George. Eddie Cochran. Thank yeah. you. And Gene Vincent had something in common. <gasps> had something in common. And it what? was guilty pleasure. It was guilty pleasure now. This is. How perfect is that? Mm. What did Eddie and Cochran. And it's, it's the story of Hollywood lore. In fact, there's a. People own this script to a movie about this. This is a very, very hot topic between oh, these wow. two guys. They shared something. Okay, what did they share? And uh, we'll give you a signed copy of a storyboard from... We might be able to let somebody, the winner, choose a couple of movies. Uh. Well, we can give away a storyboard for Miller's Crossing since that's guilty pleasure for a lot of people. They always tell me they like that movie. Oh, very they, good. not seen much. So. Signed copy of one of the storyboards from uh, Julie London's Brothers. in this movie, too. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking filmically perfect here myself, but I'm going to have to get it now. See, I'm watching so many more movies since we've had you guys on. J. Todd Anderson and George Williman, thanks so much. We'll do it again uh, next Friday, or we'll we'll see how. uh, Absolutely. Certainly. Thanks for listening. And the first caller who can correctly identify uh, what Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran share, a guilty pleasure, by the way, at 769-1998. That's area code 937-769-1998. We'll give you a... Um, really cool story about J. Todd Anderson thank you should we mention what our next filmically perfect film is if you guys know what it is you can tell us all right now we're gonna we're gonna review 
as a perfect film, Double Indemnity, and it was just released, so you can buy it. Oh, hey. Fred McMurray, not my three, not my three sons, Fred McMurray, but oh, I didn't... evil Fred McMurray. <laughs> and, and evil Barbara Stanwyck. Ooh, she hot, baby. Wow. Oh. So, okay, so your homework right now. She is Go hot out in this and picture. see it. Wow. What's the, what's the year on this film? Do you know off the top of your head? 1944, I think. Wow. Yeah, during the war. Filmically yeah. Perfect on Fridays. Check it out. Did you say Double Indemnity? I can Double barely indemnity. even say that. Yeah. So check it out if you can, and we'll be talking Film about noir. it next Friday. How fun. Gentlemen, movie guys, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I'll you See much. you later. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.